Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Haven't had this gentleman on in a long while. A TV Buchanan, the pride and joy of Proviso West, the pride and joy of WVON, co-host of the Buchanan and Seton Show on WVON. Welcome back to the show, Atiba. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Atiba is a dear friend of the show and uh, one of the smartest observers, in my humble opinion, about uh, politics, mainly national politics. Uh, before we take the deep dive in all the events of today and another impeachment, uh, another impeachment has just gone down. The vote was just completed. Atiba, folk, uh, tell folks how they can listen to you on WVON. Absolutely. So the Buchanan and Seton show airs Friday nights, 9 until midnight central on WVON AM 1690 and WVON.com. It is also an iHeartRadio station. All right. Uh, I'll be getting into some of the reactions that your listeners had to what went down last Wednesday. Atiba, things are happening so fast, so furiously, uh, I can barely keep up. Uh, today, as I said, the vote, I believe they needed 219 for to impeach Donald Trump. They got 232, 232 to 197. Ten Republicans uh, came over um, to join uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in impeaching Donald Trump for inciting a riot essentially inciting insurrection last Wednesday. Were you surprised by the outcome of Tima? Not at all. Um, I mean, again, what many Republicans, excuse me, what many Democratic Congress people had said, you know, testified to was that if we can't impeach for this, then why do we have it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's a very, very fair question. Uh, you listened to the debate. I know uh, you, you're a political junkie. You were listening to the debate while I was doing my live show. Uh, what was your what was sort of the tone and the tenor of the well, first, the uh, Democrats uh, prosecution and the Republican defense? Start with the Democrats. Sure. The Democrats were emphatic. I think that's the word I would use. Um, there, there were not any there was no one that was uh, wishy washy. Uh, everyone was firmly in line in tow with the party line of he needs to go and he needs to go today. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, would, they would have impeached him yesterday if they could. And so everyone that came up basically uh, indicated that he was a threat to democracy. And that was their main thing was that, you know, Donald Trump represents a unique and existential threat to democracy itself. And, and most of them tried to present it as, as something that was well beyond party affiliation that this was, you know, for the, again, for the good of the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. And what was the Republican defense of Donald Trump? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, let's see. So you had about, you had like, to me, in my estimation, you had like three different groups of Republicans. You had a group of Republicans that, that uh, basically 
and that was the majority, uh, tried to hit hit us with the what about isms. What about Black Lives Matter? What about Portland? What about you know? What about the time that Democrats said this? And again, their their comparisons were horrible comparisons because everything they compared it to was not an insurrection. <laughs> so even the violence in um, Portland or even even the things that had happened with Black, Black Lives Matter, those were people who were upset. Uh, at someone dying at the hands of police and expressed it in a negative way, but they were not trying to attack democracy itself. And and that's why, again, the, the comparison always fell short. So the whataboutism uh, Republicans were by far the largest group. Then you had a group that were smaller that basically acknowledged that Donald Trump was somewhat responsible, if not culpable, but for political reasons, they felt like, uh, uh, impeachment was not necessarily the way to go. He's only got seven days left in office. This will divide us. We need to heal right now. Yes, he messed up, but you know, we, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be gone in a week. Why are we bothering with all this? And, oh, and of course, they they, they want to complain about the process as well. Where are the witnesses? Where's the investigation? Why are we doing this so fast? And then the last group, which really just comes down to one person, which is really Liz Cheney. Uh, was, you know, the, the singular Republican who staunchly and firmly admonished the president, made it clear she would be voting for it, and admonished his actions. And she also gave the tone and tenor that, again, this was above party affiliation for the good of the country. She was speaking as a, as a patriot. Now, Liz Cheney, uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney from Wyoming, daughter of, of course, Vice President Dick Cheney, she actually spoke on the floor? Uh, of course she did. Um, and I can't remember her comments off the top of my head, but uh, there, there were three hours of testimony today. So they went for a long time. Um, but I, I will say this, you know, because a lot, a lot of the Republicans, keep in mind, are literally afraid of their physical well-being of Donald Trump supporters. And Liz Cheney is not one of them. Uh, my suspicion is it's because her father is Dick Cheney. So I'm sure I'm sure if somebody tries to mess with Liz Cheney, they might end up in a mountain in Nicaragua somewhere. <laughs> Liz Cheney has, is absolutely not afraid. As a matter of fact, I think she wishes somebody would try to bother her. But a lot of those Republicans are literally afraid. We've seen what what these what these crowds have done to Mitt Romney at the airport. We've seen what they've done uh, to Lindsey Graham. We've seen them call for the hanging, literally, of the vice president, Mike Pence. So, yeah, these people are, are literally afraid. And, and I guess as a country, we have to ask ourselves, is, is that what we're going to, to kowtow to, that, that element of the country? All right. Now, uh, politically speaking, how do you think uh, the what about isms will work? How do you think the con- the comparing of what went down uh, on Wednesday in Washington will compare with the what disorder in Portland or uh, in Minnesota or in, in Chicago? How will that play, do you think, with the public? For the people that want to believe that, they will believe it. Um, I actually unfriended a Facebook friend, uh, an Instagram friend of mine, because she posted, she reposted something by Tommy Warren. Basically, and this was right after the um, the violence on Wednesday, you know, Tommy Warren's point was, well, the left was really rooting for rioters not long ago. And again, it just, it just, 
it sickens my stomach to, to see that comparison because what they're really doing is saying, we, we don't really care that, that they were upset about seeing a man choke to death for eight minutes. That does, you know, they're just completely discounting that. What we do care about is these aggrieved people who are mad, not because their vote wasn't counted, not because their vote was suppressed, but because they lost. Mm-hmm. simply because they lost and to compare those two things is so disingenuous but for the people that want to believe that they will and yeah. for for the average person they, they'll know they'll be able i think they'll be able to see it for what it is you know atiba let's just pause for a moment to think about what's gone down in the last week or so with all the attention focused on wednesday's insurrection at the capitol and donald trump's role in inciting that insurrection what has been completely lost and which the republicans feel no compunction to address is the way in which donald trump has behaved in general over the last what has it been two months since the uh, election since he lost calling officials election officials in Michigan, bringing uh, state legislators from Michigan to the White House to get them to pro- to sort of uh, muscle them in to overturning the vote in Michigan that went for Joe Biden. And similarly in Georgia, calling Georgian election officials, putting the heat on the Secretary of State, putting pressure uh, on Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. I mean, he has gone beyond what any Democrat a power play. I, Richard M. Daly, Richard J. Daly, the powerful mayors of the city of Chicago, even they never tried anything as brazen and bold as this, as defiant as this. It's well, a, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was when you compare him, when you compare Donald Trump to people like Richard M. Daly, Richard M. Daly, the different, the main difference between the, the two of them outside of any moral fiber or character is that Richard M. Daly was a true politician that understood exactly how the levers of government worked. And a lot of what Donald Trump gets caught doing is because he's such an ignoramus that he doesn't understand how things work. For instance, he is pressuring Mike Pence to not do his constitutional duty, not understanding that Mike Pence doesn't have the authority to discount 80 million votes. That's not what his position is, and that's not what it allows or requires. So, again, some of it is him being corrupted. Some of it is a combination of his corruptness and him being an, an, an ignoramus as well. Um, but, again, that, that's, that's really what that boils down to. Donald Trump has done everything imaginable to get reelected except do his job. Yeah. Uh, and uh, by the way, that phone call to Pence, I read the article that was in the New York Times. Uh, uh, Donald Trump allegedly told Pence uh, the day last Wednesday, right before Pence went to uh, the Capitol to oversee the certification process, the counting of the electoral votes. He said, are you going to be a patriot or a pussy? Which is such a, a bizarre, it's so bizarre, just the, the conflation in Donald Trump's head, Adiba. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what Here's it boiled. Question. Yeah. And what did Mike Pence say? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Um, what? <laughs> oh, sorry, sir. I'm going to be a pussy today. Uh, no, they, they didn't have Mike Pence's response. Uh, I, I read this article last last night, I, and and Atiba, I got to tell you that I thought, like at this point, Mike Pence, based on the headline, I thought that the Mike Pence said to Donald Trump, "I've had enough of you." 
punk. I don't need to take your abuse anymore. You know, I think I thought that's where it was going. But at Tiba, it seemed like what happened was uh, Mike Pence said, "Sorry, sir, but uh, I I think I'll have to be a pussy in this one." I mean that. That's kind of what they led you to believe. Right. No, I, I can absolutely believe it. But the, the, again, that goes to my earlier point. He didn't have a choice. I mean, to even frame it as if there was a legitimate choice to be made, again, speaks to the level of ignorance of Donald Trump. Yeah. There was nothing Mike Pence could do except what he did. Yeah. I, I wish that somebody would stand up to Trump. Uh, obviously, it's not going to happen in the Republican Party. Even... Like when he calls Rasperger, the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, there's such deference paid to him. You know, he's yeah. crossed such a line, but they, they well, still defer to him, Tiba. Go ahead. Well, here's the deal. Here's because I think this is worth noting. I think you're going to see a shift away from Trumpism because there is a there is a significant section of the Republican Party, a quite powerful section of the Republican Party that includes people like Mitch McConnell that want to get back to regular conservatism. And the re- and it's not just about morals and principles. It's not so much that they are so much that they're principally disgusted by Donald Trump. The bottom line is nobody likes a loser. Donald Trump lost. He lost by 7 million votes. He lost by 50 plus electoral college votes. And not only that, you can make the case that he caused the loss. I mean, Georgia has two Democratic senators. Georgia, the only state redder than Georgia might be Texas, and they're next. But you can link that to those failures of those two uh, Republican senators directly to Donald Trump. And and not, not only that, not only did they lose those two seats, that subsequently then they've lost the Senate. So they don't, Democrats have a trifecta and you can really look at Donald Trump and his rhetoric. The main reason he lost the the presidency wasn't because of his policies. It wasn't even because of COVID. It was because he convinced his followers not to vote early. Mm. That's why he lost because he he did that to himself. And, and, And that speaks to just how crazy America is because had he not done that, he'd likely be president today. Despite COVID, despite millions of people on unemployment, despite all that, he likely would have won again. Wait, now say that again. You think he would have won had he not done what? Basically crapped on the post office, uh, Uh explaining that early voting was fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Had Had he kept had he allowed that to be a vehicle for his voters to vote too? he likely would have won the election. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But uh, I'm going to... Popular vote, but he likely would have lost the popular vote again, but still won the electoral college. Well, all right, here's the thing uh, to this point, and we'll... uh, Donald Trump's strength is his weakness. And so uh, his strength, and I don't portray this as a virtue, I'm just talking about in, in pure politics, is he never bends. He never admits that he's wrong. He uh, never concedes. He just plows ahead. He says whatever he has to say. He says this with utter uh, certainty and conviction, even though it is 
either a lie or completely contradicts what he said the day before. And that's what MAGA loves about him. So if he were any other way than what he is, Atiba, I don't know if he could have got elected in the first place, given the fact that he had no experience whatsoever for the job. Do you follow what I'm saying? No, I, I agree with you. And that and that played well in 2016. I mean, there's a myriad of reasons that he won in 2016 as opposed to why he didn't win in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, Hillary Clinton being the Democratic nominee is no small part of that. Joe Biden happened to be the, the Democrat that some Republicans then could hold their nose and vote for where they were just completely unwilling to do that for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see Joe Biden winning by the slimmest of margins some of those states. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, what went down on Wednesday. I've talked about this with all my guests. Sure. Um, uh, I was on the air when it happened, so I missed it in real time. Did you see it in real time, or what was your reaction? I, ab- I absolutely did see it in real time. Um, and frankly, I was at home popping popcorn, giggling. It was, I, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Because, as sad as it was, and I say this from a unique African-American perspective, we knew this was coming. Uh, this was this was one of the most predictable events uh, in, in political history. This, this is what has been brewing for months. I mean, we just saw barely two months ago, they were trying to literally kidnap the governor of Michigan, not not the governor of some, you know, southern Arkansas. This was Michigan. And so we've seen uh, uh, Christopher Ray two years ago, said that the most existential threat to U.S. safety is, de- is, is white supremacy and domestic terrorism, homegrown. And those calls have been ignored and, and put to the side for the longest. And, and we saw that play out in real time on that day. I thought it was absolutely hilarious, as did most black people. We just sat back. If, if you notice, there weren't any counter protesters there because that was not our fight. We let them have it because I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Malcolm X by Spike Lee, mm-hmm. but there's a there's a line with you know Denzel who's playing Malcolm X talks about chicken chickens coming home to roost yeah. and that's what happened. Yeah, I will now refrain from doing my Denzel Washington imitation. Uh, although it was <laughs> what you said was sort of an open invitation to do so. Um, uh, yeah, I, trust me, I'm not going to do it. All right, uh, yeah, all white crowd. Or I always say all white crowd, but as I told you before the show, there was like two or three uh, exceedingly confused black people in the middle of that yep. crowd. Uh, Atiba. <laughs> like, what are these guys thinking? You know what I'm saying? I, I can't begin to, po- I can't even begin to postulate what they may be thinking. I honestly, I, I just don't understand. Um, but I, I will say this, you know, when you look at the rhetoric of these people, you know, they literally feel like it's their country. We're going to take back our country. They mean that. And I guess that's the part that hurts me most about watching Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is not a true believer. He's a con man. He doesn't he's not a patriot. And he's not even that. He doesn't he doesn't care one way or the other. He only cares about himself. And these people are true believers. They really believe in the rhetoric. Um, and that's what makes them so specifically dangerous. Uh, so, yeah, it, I, I saw it in real time. It was un, it was unfortunate. Uh, and, and again, the most obvious takeaway is if they were black, it would have never gotten to that point. I mean, to see that black security guard that who should be a hero, by the way, leading the crowd away. But he had a firearm. 
he had a gun and he put his hand on his gun several times, but he never released it from the holster. He never pulled a side on. There is no, if 300 black people were chasing some white cop, it would have been 16 dead white people. I mean, 16 dead black people. And if he had time to reload, it'd be 32. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that because if he if he didn't fear for his life, then what is the meaning of fearing for your life? He d- he knew better than he didn't even pull his gun. Yeah. It was it was stunning. No, that was an amazing uh, scene. I've seen it so many times in uh, retrospect. He picks up the uh, the baton. It happened to be lying on the ground. I don't know if you noticed that. And right. It was a stick or something. And he used that uh, to keep uh, MAGA back. And right. you're right. He led them away from the Senate chambers. Uh, and then he led them to a, p- a part of the room where there were other uh security guards, police, I don't know who they were, Camp, uh, Capitol Police, uh, and then they seemed to be at bay. But yeah, a remarkable scene. Uh, that, actually, I got to tell you, I wasn't laughing. I was scared. I, I'm just going to be honest with you, Atiba. I was scared. I think it was a combination of just like the the fearlessness, it seemed like, of the mob. Like they thought, like they were entitled to do what they were doing. Yes, and- they, they they had no fear at all. When we even thinking again of the same security guard, the smug look on their faces. Uh, but again, how could they how could they be fearful when they're getting tours? Yeah. I mean, two officers have been have been uh, suspended. Um, you know, they're getting tours of the, and, and they're again, it's being reported that there were GOP Congress people helping them. So we'll find. I think we'll find that out in the days to come. Well, what, um, I, re- what I really hope, what I really hope, Atiba, is uh, that the Democrats don't fall for this unity line uh, and bury this thing. Uh, I didn't get that impression today. There okay. were several, several, several Democrats that call that out specifically, saying these people now are calling for unity are the ones that fomented all this. You know, and, and, they, and their bigger point was we can have unity after accountability. But everybody wants, you know, everybody wants peace with no justice. And that's the problem. So they, they cited that out, uh, you know, and one of one of them even quoted Martin Luther King and saying that peace is is not just the absence of tension, but it is also coupled with justice. And that's what is. So, again, they, they are. I'm telling you, they, they were as lockstep as I've ever seen Democrats. And that's saying a lot because they never are. All right. So after this, it uh, moves over to the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell has already uh, let it be known that he will not be calling a special session of the Senate to uh, have a trial. In other words, he's passing it on uh, to uh, Joe Biden and Charles Schumer. What's your thoughts about what to expect from the Senate? Uh, there's a possibility that he may be convicted, but they do. It's a high number. Again, they need like, I think, 17 yeah. Republican senators to, to make that happen. So will he be convicted? I don't know. But the Democrats do make a strong case. Um, do, do we want Donald Trump eligible to run in 2024? Again, I, based on the losses that he's suffered and what he's done to the country, I'm thinking established. This is, I think, most establishment Republicans view this as their opportunity to get rid of Trump forever. Because if he is successfully convicted, that's it. There's nothing else to talk about. Because what they don't want is for Donald Trump to be running the party while he's not even in office for the next four years. So, yeah. so I think you know Mitch McConnell has said on the record 
that unlike last time that, you know, a conviction could be on the table. And I think he's giving permission to his other senators to to vote their conscience this time, as opposed to trying to whip up votes for a certain for a pre, pre, uh, predicted outcome. Yeah. Uh, in other words, put your fingers in the air and see which way the wind's blowing and make uh, uh, the appropriate response at that. Absolutely. Point. Uh, and uh, all right. Uh, as we said at the start of the show, uh, you're the host of a radio talk show on WVON, uh, Buchanan Seaton. What was the response of your listeners? Uh, uh, most, yeah, sure. Most of their responses were similar to mine. Um, you have to, you have to remember, you know, black people are, are really, really browbeaten. Um, when, you know, when we see the rioting, which I, I do not condone, when we see those situations, you know, we, we get, we get a lot of finger wagging, uh, because again, as most minorities can tell you, any minority group is re- is completely responsible for every minority that does anything wrong. <laughs> so, you know, um, that so that that kind of weighs on our minds. And so everything that we hear comes back to us. For instance, black people are always told violence is never the answer. And for people that all that that are the first ones to say violence is never the answer, when they got an outcome they didn't like, that was justified. By the way, the first thing they resorted to was violence. And so, it, it, you know, again, for us, it is you know, for many of my listeners on VON, uh, again, it was more of a of a chickens coming home to roost moment. And America is now going to have to make up its mind as a country, what type of country it is going to really be, because we keep this in mind. We've lost a tremendous amount of credibility with this because Russia and North Korea, all those countries, you know what they're able to use Wednesday's videotape. When they play those videotapes, they, they, they're able to say now, see, this is what democracy gets you. Don't listen to the people in the West. This is, this is what democracy gets you. They're, they're the ones that made it up and they can't even do it. And so we, we can't go to places now and, and convince them that democracy is the way to go. Not, not, for, not for years and many years. So we've lost a lot of credibility on the world stage, not just with our allies, but certainly with our enemies. And it, is, it, is, it has hurt us in ways that right now can't be measured. All right. Uh, so one of the key uh, decisions that this country has to make going forward to sort of undo the damage of the last four years is to decide officially what Donald Trump's legacy is. And uh, on one hand, I heard these Republican congressmen talking about what a great job Donald Trump did as president before COVID hit. Uh, I had a laugh at that. What's your thoughts of Donald Trump's legacy? What do you think it is? And what do you think uh, the larger public will see it as? Yeah, I, I, I can't see how anybody remembers anything positive about it. Uh, there are so many negative controversial moments. Um, You look at, of course, the separation of kids at the border, which he'll never live that down. Uh, You look at the Muslim ban that he tried to institute. You know, again, those are the things uh, that people are going to remember. The only piece of legislation that he was able to get through was a tax cut that many people I think would would well credit Paul Ryan for, although that you know you may call the Trump tax cut, but that wouldn't have happened without Paul Ryan. That was his baby, and the minute it was done, you saw that he left. He wanted nothing to do with that with Donald Trump and his administration afterwards. So, again, I, I don't I don't see how people remember anything positive there because once the once COVID hit, he handled it so poorly. I mean, 4,300 people died yesterday. They were saying on CNN, that's more people that, that have died in Japan in the past year. 
we've lost more than that in a day. So I don't see, I'm sure his legacy will forever be linked to the pandemic uh, with the asinine things that he said, talking about bleach and light. Uh, Again, he, you know, he's, he's done and said so many horrible things um, that Mm -hmm. I I just don't see, you know, Herman Cain died. I, I just do not see how he has a favorable legacy. And again, most of all, he got impeached twice within 13 months. Who does that? Uh, you know, Atiba, that's so remarkable. The last line you made, uh, there's a, a very funny mockumentary on Netflix called Death to 2020. I don't know if you've seen it. I urge you to see it if you haven't. Uh, it uh, takes a look at the year 2020. And I saw it about, the, I think, the la- a couple of days before the end of the year. Uh, I thought it was very topical up to today. Uh, uh, up to date it's already dated <laughs> you know what i'm saying but that's what happens with trump that's what he does because i mean you mentioned earlier the call to the secretary of state in georgia that was like 12 days ago. Like, <laughs> that feels like an eternity ago yeah and and so he he bombards the news cycle with so much foolishness that again within within a, i mean i'll put it this way on Christmas Day, we had two city blocks blown up. We don't even talk like that's not even yeah. on the new. That was that was Christmas Day. Talk about Nashville, right? Yeah, and so that's what he does to the news cycle. Yeah, I. Uh... You're right. Uh, I've completely forgotten about Nashville, uh, the bombing in Nashville. And, uh, and in addition, uh, the uh, his attempts uh, to coerce uh, public employees uh, into breaking the law, essentially. He wanted them right. to break the law on his behalf. Right. Uh, that has got to be against the law. It, and, it, yeah. And you know ahead. what that's too? That put, that that crystallizes the Ukraine call. Yeah. Right. Because now, now I mean, we already knew that that he had done it, but this is just the Ukraine call 2.0. And every time I think about that, I can't help but think of Susan Collins, who feels he's learned, who felt who felt he learned his lesson. Yeah. And um, again, he 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 can he can't help himself. He is corrupt to his core. He only knows how to be corrupt. And so when he made those calls to Georgia, that's par for the course for him. That's why he was genuinely surprised. It was such a backlash that he was impeached over it because to him, that's, that's normal. That's a normal day for Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, what's also very unusual. I can't remember anything like this is how the outgoing president has completely overwhelmed the incoming president on the news cycle generally and i've lived through a lot of these uh transitions which are usually peaceful the outgoing president is sort of like ancient history and everybody's looking at what's the new incoming president coming in they would be talking about the plans for inauguration and who he's nominating for this cabinet position and that cabinet position and what will be his first moves uh nobody's talking really about joe biden obviously it's they're beginning an impeachment of donald Trump, even though he only has a week or so left. Um, so here's, go ahead. Here, I'm sorry. Here's what I hope people remember, mm-hmm. because this is this is cyclical now and it keeps happening. Right. We saw Bill Clinton clean up the mess Ronald Reagan left. We saw Barack Obama clean up the mess Bill um, uh, George W. Bush left. Mm-hmm. And now yet again, here we are with a Democrat having to yet again clean up a mess 
behind another Republican president. And I hope people remember that this time. Uh, just a slight correction, Clinton cleaning up the mess that uh, Daddy Bush, there was Daddy Bush in between Reagan and uh, uh, Clinton, but your point's right. oh, well. Thinking, I was thinking of Reagan being the, the purveyor of trickle-down economics, yeah. and, and and you know, we, we getting, uh, the country getting a real strong economy under Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, is one of the Democrats who said she's a little uncertain about pushing for impeachment uh, because that'll detract from uh, Biden's ability to get the Senate to focus on what he wants it to do. What's your thoughts on uh, the impact of impeachment on the Biden agenda? Yeah, I disagree with her on that. Uh, I think the country's ready to get back to some sense of normalcy. And I think, you know, what Donald Trump did last Wednesday was so extraordinary, so unprecedented um, that I don't think it's going to impede that at all. I do believe and I could be wrong, but I do believe that the that the Republican Party as a whole wants to get away from Donald Trump and get back to something that could be a winning strategy. So I, I don't think that's going. And, 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 and McConnell, and this is evidence already, McConnell and Biden have already been speaking about his appointments and how to get them through. And so while, you know, Joe, a lot of people laughed at Joe Biden when he said he could work with the other the other side of the aisle, but already that's proven that it could possibly be true. All right, I got to see that to believe it. I hope you're absolutely correct on that one. That uh, uh, My guess, and this may be the cynic in me speaking, uh, Atiba, is that the Republicans are too afraid of MAGA uh, to uh, vote for impeachment. And so I don't believe you're going to get the 17 Republicans uh, to vote to impeach. I hope I'm wrong, because I really think it's important for this country to send that message. I, and I vehemently disagree with Ori Lightfoot on that point as, as well as you do. But I am uh, i don't see it. I just don't see it. That 17. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't I don't I don't think it's going to be a problem for Joe Biden. I think I think he's going to be fine. And I think, again, people are looking for such a relief to some degree of normalcy, because, uh, again, we, we've got to get this vaccination out there. We, we've got much, much bigger fish to fry that this country needs to get on. I, th- I think this country is ready to get on with the business of handling its business. All right. Steve, I know you have a very important business uh, meeting coming up. So before I let you go, just tell folks one more time about the, uh, the great radio show that you and David Seaton host. Yes, absolutely. It's the Buchanan and Seaton show on WVON AM 1690. Uh, again, we air Friday nights, nine until midnight. You can listen on WVON.com live streaming or on iHeartRadio. Yeah. And I didn't get an opportunity. Next time you come on, we can talk about this. Uh, one of your uh, schoolmates, I don't know if, if you graduated at the same time, just got elected Speaker of the House. Chris Welch, proud graduate of Eliza West, is now wow. Speaker. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to discuss that. And congratulations to him. He's actually, uh, he, he, I think he was class of 89. I think he was two years before me. Yeah, two years before you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, so he's an old wise man compared to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, Chris Welch, uh, was elected speaker today and, uh, the first, uh, black man to be speaker of the house in the history of the state of Illinois. So that's something special. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Yes. Um, all right, Atiba Buchanan, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, all right, take care, Atiba. Stay safe and sound, okay? That's Atiba Buchanan. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.